Well, it's the second Sunday of Advent, which means it's time to brace ourselves for John the Baptist. Dressed in camel's hair and fueled by locusts and wild honey, this curmudgeonly prophet raises his voice and lets us have it. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. If you're looking for a soft, sweet, pillowy entrance into the season of Christmas, John will not oblige you. There's nothing gentle about John the Baptist. You brood of vipers. Who talks like that anymore? Repent. Wake up. Bear fruit. Like it or not, we always have to spend time with John before we get to the manger. <coughs> and I guess that's about right. Because Jesus doesn't stay in the manger. He grows up. And so do we in our faith and relationship with him. And it's John that gets us ready for that growth. He shouts at us to prepare the way for the one who is coming. But I also think he's shouting at us to prepare ourselves for living that flows from Christmas into the rest of the year. It's like how Lisa reminded us a few weeks ago in worship that our work of preparing the way continues no matter what season or time of year it is. So what we have today is Matthew's account of John's Riverside Revival. This call to come to the waters for baptism, confessing sins and pledging to live better, having been through the water. And I'm sure there are many of us in this room who, when you heard the word revival, immediately had these images and sounds, smells, and experiences of being in an event called a revival, whether it was in the summertime in a tent or down by the river or in a homecoming church setting. We know what that word evokes in us. But just in case there are a few who haven't, because let's not assume, we know that revivals, these are not just one-night events. They go on for days. And while the themes for preaching vary, there's always a call at the end of every sermon to rededicate your life, to repent, and if you haven't been baptized before, to request baptism. When I was in junior high, for three years running, many of the local Protestant churches got together the week before school started in August to hold a four-night revival at Tom Johnson's campground, the biggest campground in McDowell County, so where you could hold as many people as you could, by the Catawba River. And this revival was called River Blast. And as I remember it, the revival was geared mostly toward teenagers and young adults and the unchurched in the county. Which I have to admit, 
would be an impressive thing to be unchurched in McDowell County with 350 plus churches, 90 of which have some Baptist version in their name. It's kind of impressive. But my friends from school and I met up there each night because we liked the worship style. We loved the upbeat music and that the preacher made us laugh, told great stories. It also got us thinking about the state of our relationship with God. I think it was kind of preaching the way John starts off his revival preaching. When the people were coming out to him from Jerusalem and the countryside, just the ordinary folks. John's message to them was clear, but it was kind. Not really judgy. A message of repentance. Jesus is coming. And of course at Riverblast, the invitation was always there to come forward and speak with the leaders of the event and local pastors who were volunteering about how to deepen our relationship with God or to rededicate our lives. But you know, the last night, as most revivals tend to go, the tone of the preaching changed to be a little bit like John's later message when he saw that the powerful folks, the ones with influence in the community, were coming to hear him and requesting baptism as well. And so John upped the volume and the rhetoric and the judgment and the urgency. The preaching at River Blast on that final night moved many people who had come forward earlier in the week to do so again because they weren't quite sure that maybe they'd been as 100% that first time. And I remember seeing a guy in my grade who I knew from experience was a bully. He was arrogant. He was a three-sport athlete who thought he could just play anything and be awesome at it without even trying. He was good-looking, I will admit that, but he knew it. And he considered himself above those who weren't as athletic or well-off or good-looking. And so as the preacher made the final altar call that night, he jumped up and half ran down the aisle, hands in the air and tears streaming down his face, proclaiming he needed Jesus in his life right then and he wanted to be baptized. He was ready to jump in the river. Who was going with him? It was quite the spectacle. And in my mind, I thought to myself, well, good. He of all people... <laughs> needs to repent, and I hope it sticks. We'll see on Monday. But even, even as that memory comes back, 18 or so years later, I realized he wasn't the only one who needed to repent. I did too. I still do. Because there's always that guy or that person in our lives, the one that can push our buttons, who's mean to us, who doesn't respect us. Though the names and faces change, the attitude of comparing myself to others and seeing their need for repentance is an attitude I always need to be called out on 
I need to hear John the Baptist's Advent revival message, convicting me of the times when I've said to myself, well, I'm a pretty good Christian. I read my Bible most every day. I don't cuss where people can hear me. And I pray before meals, especially when I'm in public, or at least I ask Jason to and close my eyes. So I think I'm a pretty decent person, and I don't have a whole lot to repent about. I need to hear this message of conviction, to hear that God is able to raise up beloved people from stones, from people I think that are too arrogant, too rich, too powerful, that God can raise up people from the stones I have a stony heart about, that God raises up all kinds of people to be beloved and calls them dear children, beloved to God, just as God calls me dear child, oh, beloved one. So John calls us all out, reminding us that no one is better or more worthy or special than another person. John's preaching jolts us all awake in order to be ready for the one more powerful than he when that one arrives with this combination of acceptance and admonition. For down by the riverside, we learn that we are cherished and loved for who we are, and we are also responsible for what we do. So John's message is deceptively simple. Repent. Repent. But John does not lay on the guilt and condemnation so often associated with that word with popular images in modern-day revivals. Repentance for John is action. It is not to feel bad and guilty like you're the scum of the earth, but to repent is to think differently and therefore to act differently. In short, repentance, that's all about change. And to proclaim repentance is to believe that change is possible. That a life headed off the road down a cliff need not end up at the bottom of it. And that a life at the bottom of a cliff need not stay there. Because John preaches repentance in those days, as our passage began. Meaning a time of new beginnings right in the middle of life. And sometimes, a new beginning, starting any day of the week, that's all some people need to hear. They are so ready for the chance to repent, to turn around, literally or metaphorically, and go in a different direction. They only need to hear the word to give them the hope and the courage to live more like Jesus said. When I come, I want to find you feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, caring for the poor and the sick, and visiting those who are lonely and imprisoned. Other people need to hear a little more 
repent and bear fruit worthy of repentance. Change and bear fruit worthy of that change. What does that look like? I think it looks like a changed attitude, a mindset, and a different relationship with others around you. It looks like knowing that with repentance comes a kind of power. Not the power to do to others, but an empowerment to do with others. To do that work of preparing the way, which is what John has been saying all along. Prepare the way of the Lord. This empowerment grows after being watered over and over again as we remember our baptism, which first prepared the ground for this transformation. For there is too much at stake now to let stones stand in our places when we should be about the work of preparation, the widening out, the leveling out, the smoothing out for the journey of Christ coming into our lives. There's too much at stake now to let barren, poorly producing trees stand in our places when we are called to bear good fruit as evidence of our changed lives and hearts. And if you're like me and wish this change would just hurry up and take place as quickly and painlessly as possible, it's worth remembering that the fruit is the last thing to appear on healthy trees. The fruit is the last thing that we see on healthy trees. First, the roots must be strong. The trunk and the branches must be sturdy. Then the leaves unfurl, then the beautiful blossoms come, and then and only then do the blossoms fall off and make way for the fruit. So good fruit comes with patience and constant tending. I have not yet found a quick fix to speed up the process of bearing fruit and have that fruit be very tasty or nourishing. And so it is with the work of repentance, the work of change. In order for the results of it to be good, to be nourishing and satisfying, the process must take its course in order for the seeds of change and transformation to take root in us and then in others as we think and act and relate differently. Just as some seeds need to be soaked in water in order to awaken their DNA for growth, in the water you are revived to consciousness to return, repair, and bear fruit worthy of repentance. As Ken Sehested so poetically puts it, the baptizer's bargain is this. Enter these waters at the risk of self-absorbed survival. A certain drowning is needed for lungs to receive breath from above on the wings of a dove. 
the bargain John makes with each of us is that we must make the choice to accept or reject at our own risk, to enter the waters knowing that it is just the beginning, not the end, that the water is for repentance, the first step along a journey of faith that lasts a lifetime. To do the work of repairing what needs repairing in your life, in your community, in your world. Because one more powerful than us is coming and soon. Not with the fires of hell, but with the fire of the Holy Spirit to inspire invigorate and inaugurate you to life as prophets of peace who speak with brave voices in hard places, preparing the way of the Lord. Amen.